Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Elk Shape Podcast, me, Dan the Fitness Man, episode 5-8, bringing on Adam Grinda. He lives in Alaska, moved up there from Idaho. He's a bush pilot, or actually just a pilot for the U.S. government. Has his own plane. Him and his wife moved up there. He's a hunting fool. He's got some epic stories. I've actually shared a, a little bit of an adventure with him down in Arizona for late season elk a few years back. That's where I met him, and uh, we have a mutual friend, Ryan. So got connected with him, brought him on. He's truly a blue collar adventure seeker. He's putting down some really big animals up in Alaska. Incredible adventures. Got to check this one out. It's got a little bit of everything in it. It's just really cool to get to know guys like this that are going for their dream and living it out. He's a hardworking blue-collar guy, and he gets after it, and he tells some pretty incredible tales from Alaska. And then uh, as far as elk-shaped business goes, guys, we got uh, new hats in the store, restocked up, some cool ones, some new ones. YouTube channel still pumping out videos. If you haven't subscribed, do me a fave. Go over there, check it out. Get the hit a like and a subscribe and a comment and interact with me there and let me know if the videos you want to see there. This platform here is a powerful one and that's why we brought on Elk 101 to basically get you guys hooked up with the University of Elk Hunting with Corey Jacobson and all the stuff he's put on there. 17 modules and 45 plus chapters and I even did a workout video for guys that do that course that you can check out and uh, I think that the discount code is Elk Shape so plug that in there, save some loot and start doing your off-season due diligence in the name of better elk hunting. As always, you can always check out elkshape.com for free workouts and articles and things like that. Go ahead and throw your email address in there and I will spam you. Just joking. And thanks for all your support. We like those reviews on iTunes as well as Podbean Stitcher. So if you have something super positive to say, let me hear it. And uh, Elk Shape Camp is coming up. And those that are listening that are coming to the camp, we were having a really mild winter. And then last week hit, uh, I just plowed my driveway out for the second time this week. We got a foot last night. We got six inches the night before. We got two or three more storms rolling in. So it looks like on Sunday at the Elk Shape Camp, uh, first of March, it's not going to be – we're going to be pounding snow. And that's fine. Weather – 
uh, can't control, but we'll still be outside. So dress accordingly. And I'm really excited to bring that on, meeting all these guys. And so if you didn't get signed up for that Elk Shape Camp, be on the lookout. We'll probably do one more in 2019. And as always, we're going to probably take it on the road in 2020. So if you have a location where we can do the fitness, do the nutrition, do the lectures, as well as an archery range where we can do the shooting together and run through some pieces, let me know. We'll bring it to your town. Without further ado, this is Adam Grinda, and this is Elk Shape Podcast. Elk Shape Podcast, me, Dan, the fitness man. We got another badass guest tonight, Adam Grinda. He uh, lives in Alaska. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good, man. How's it going? Good. Where are you in Alaska right now? King Salmon. Oh, I've been there. Okay. I, I know you have. Oh, you know I have? I've caught most of your podcasts. I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I've heard stories of you coming out here and going on a caribou hunt, I think, way back when. Yeah, dude. You live in some wild country, brother. There's like bears just right around the corner from you, man. It's like great fishing, yeah. moose, um, everything. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's like the sportsman's capital. It's it's great. We have uh, pretty much everything within an hour or two of my house. And uh, for people who don't know, King Salmon's uh, kind of right at the, the base of the Alaska Peninsula. We're 300 miles southwest of Anchorage. Um, no roads. There's only a few roads in Alaska, and there's no, no road out here. So everything's flown in or barged in. So um, it's a different, different lifestyle for sure than living in lower 48 where you got Costco and Walmart and stuff, you know? Oh, I remember buying some groceries in King Salmon. <laughs> it hurt. It yeah. was expensive. Yep. Um, that's cool, man. Well, we're going to get into your background. We're going to figure out how you ended up in Alaska. Cause, uh, last I checked, you know, before that you were living in Idaho, I uh, met you through yeah. a friend, a mutual friend and, Almost shared a camp with you in Arizona, but um, was able to see you shoot your bull in Arizona and uh, take a peek at him. So get into your background, what you're doing for a living and how you're making your money and, and all your crazy adventures. I also know that you had an amazing fall, so we're going to get to that as well. So give us the background on you, man. I'm 29. I live in King Salmon. I've only lived here full time for a few years now. I work for the, I'm a pilot for the federal government up here. I guess a bush pilot, if you want, that term gets tossed around pretty loosely, but I fly pretty small airplanes, anywhere from two seats to up to seven seat airplanes, single engine airplanes, mostly on floats in the summer. And then we do wheels, land on beaches, ridge tops, gravel bars, stuff like that. So that's what I do for work. My goal to kind of get up to Alaska has always kind of been a lifelong endeavor. I started as a fishing guide up here and just kind of got in your blood, but I always loved to hunt way more than fish. And uh, if you like airplanes and hunting, I always tell people, man, Alaska is the place to go. And I was born and raised in uh, Post Falls, Idaho. And then I worked 10 summers up here and then finally uh, paid my dues, built up enough flight time. And uh, it's really hard to get hired on as a, federal, as a federal employee, but I finally had the right job come open and I was qualified and I got accepted. And, uh, Moved up to Alaska, and at that point, I figured it was time to pull the trigger and buy my dream airplane. So I bought a experimental Super Cub, so I can do a fair amount of my own maintenance on it and uh, fab up parts if I need to here and there, and uh, get some cheaper parts. And like I said, King Sam, there's no roads, and so everything is flown out. So there's a there's a town of about 500 people where I live, and you can take a jet boat up and a couple four-wheeler trails but everything outside that 
you're either hiring an air taxi to fly you in at a really expensive rate or you do what I did and get your own transportation and do that do that route. Dude, that's wild, man. So you uh you're married. How did you convince your wife to go to Alaska? So I married what my buddies call a unicorn. She's not like anything I've ever met. Um and you just did a podcast with her oldest brother, Travis, and uh we met two thousand fourteen and went on our first date uh where you live, Spokane Valley. And she was I was telling her all these crazy Alaska airplane stories and she was into Alaska and uh she was telling me she just got back from a doll sheep hunt and whacked a doll sheep at eight hundred and something yards and I was just like, Man, who is this woman? And uh Wow she was she yeah, I know. I was like, What what have I got myself into here? And uh found out she was married or related all the stuck in the rut guys and I knew they were really hardcore. Um and uh yeah, she was going to school for ATC, got accepted into ATC for air traffic control to go to Oklahoma and I said, Well, I'm not gonna move to Oklahoma and I'm got I have to go fly floats all summer at this fishing lodge. Do you wanna come up and work for the summer and you can fly out to these fishing locations when I got an extra seat and hang out and see Alaska and so she joined on for that. That was based close to King Salmon, you know, just 30 miles away or so. And uh, she's always wanted to have an airplane and live in the bush and um, just do what we're doing. So this is kind of her dream, too. And, yeah, just I, I married a good one, man. I mean, definitely uh, kind of revitalized my hunting. And uh, her brothers are really, really serious and some of the best hunters I know. And so it definitely uh, pushed me into a new category to, to make me hunt a lot harder. Yeah, those stuck in the rut boys, man, they're the real deal. And you are too. And that's only the type of people I bring on this podcast, man. I'm not looking for famous people. I'm looking for the real deal. And I, I want to get right into cutting your teeth. I mean, how awesome was it when you were finally official resident where you just went and bought whatever tag you wanted? Yeah, so about that, that was the hardest year I probably ever had because we moved up here. You need to be in the state for 365 days, and you need to have, I mean, you need to be able to prove it with pay stubs, driver's license, PO box, I mean, some real stuff, some utility bills, and not a lot of non-resident opportunity out of King Salmon. So the only thing I shot that year, I think, was a wolf, and that was on a caribou hunt with a friend of mine um, where I flew him into a place. And my wife shot a nice bull moose, and then a really good buddy of mine came up from North Dakota on a moose hunt. He shot a moose as well. So I kind of let them have first dibs, and I was just the packer and the pilot and kind of figured out logistics that first year. But, yeah, that's it, you got to pay your dues to, to get in up here. But the cool part when you're in, a lot of people don't know this, and I didn't. Like you, you buy non-resident elk tags for Idaho. You can go get your resident deer tag in Washington. But up here – the only tag I've ever bought was a $25 brown bear tag. Everything else you just print it off on your computer at home. So you buy a hunt license for hunting, fishing, trapping is like 94 bucks, I think. And then everything else, like doll sheep, print it off at home. Caribou tag, you want a couple of them, print them off on your computer. It's just insane. Oh, my. I did not know that. I think my, my, my jaw just dropped. Man, I am so excited for you because I know how passionate you are about the outdoors. And take us through your first season as a resident printing off tags at home. So that first one, the first season as a resident or first season since I moved up here? No, I'm talking resident printing off tags, pilot, ready to go. 
what that looked okay, like. So, so that was a long time coming. I hit residency in April 2018. Alaska Peninsula and Kodiak have the world's biggest bears. And um, I fly the peninsula some for work. And I've been scouting on my own plane, talking to different outfitters. I got buddies who guide down there. And so uh, I called Travis and I said, hey, we need to set up we need to set up a brown bear hunt because the spring is 2018 season and um, it alternates spring fall. And I said, we got a spring bear season coming up. I said, I got some good spots scouted out. Uh, his tag was a thousand bucks. But in Alaska to hunt brown bears or grizzly bears, doll sheep or mountain goat, you need either, either need to hire a guide or have a second degree of kindred. So he's my brother-in-law. I can act as his guide. He came up here. The Alaska Peninsula is some of the worst weather in the entire world, and we uh, the hunt started May 10th, and so we were trying to fly in the 8th to the 9th, but there was a really big storm pushing in, and we went down there, stashed some gas, and kind of got our camp established and flew out because um, it was forecast to blow 70. Oh. And uh, that'll just, I mean, you can have an airplane tied down really good. When it gets up to that, I mean, it just it can be a plane wrecker um, and rip them right out of the ground and start bending stuff. So I opted not to do that. I think we got in there a couple days late on the 12th. A lot of guys like to go on the beach, and the beach are really exposed to weather and winds for airplanes. And uh, it's one of the hardest parts about owning one is you got to kind of babysit it when you're there. But we found a big place where four big drainages came together, and we could just post up and glass. And that's kind of the name of the game up here, I figured out, is just get to a glass and knob. Let your eyes do the walking. Don't spread your scent around and conserve energy. And... Uh, and wait till you see something you want to go after. And so we did that. We were glassing a lot. I mean, it's daylight for 19, 20 hours a day. So we got up at daybreak and alternated naps during the day. And uh, day two, Travis saw my bear from about five miles, maybe six. It was a long ways away. And we saw it sliding down its belly um, and then walking back up, sliding down its belly and made a move on it, got close spotted again from about two miles away and it was it was out of the den pretty fresh because it was almost looked like he was drunk he was stumbling around and he'd walk 100 yards and then pass out and get up and do the same thing again and (laughs) we went over there and i said trav let's let's go what do you think And he's like yeah i I got a good feeling we should just go over there so it took a long time to get over there and that's a deception of alaska is it it's he ranged it he said oh it's only two thousand yards we'll be there in an hour and it took three hours to cross this drainage and go through all the alders and we got up there and we we cut the bear's track and it was i could fit a size 13 kenna easily inside of it and i was like well that's that's a big one and we uh we tracked and we kind of lost the tracks and we it was eleven thirty, so it was almost dark and uh we made one last push and i glassed him about a mile up the canyon kind of right at the foot of this glacier sleeping and uh ran up there and uh i'm kicking myself dan because i didn't bring the bow because everyone said that's kind of more like fall bear when they're on the streams and you can get a good archery shot this thing was so tired we yelled at him we couldn't get him to stand up and finally he lifted his head and i shot him right down the spine at 200 yards but i could have walked up within 15 yards and it was blowing 30 knots right in our favor i could have shot him with my bow oh, which oh my kind of a gosh. bummer but yeah you you don't know um until you know and uh cool part about that story trav and i had a friend that told us one time he had to sleep under a bear hide and we joked about that on the stock and shot him right before midnight took pictures it was all on film we got some video and uh i think we pounded a mountain house took three hours for both of us to skin him and then we 
didn't want to walk covered in bear blood back through a bunch of bear country and try and find our way back to camp five or six miles. So we elected to stay there, but we just didn't have much. We had our puffy pants and jackets and beanies and gloves. And, uh, we slept under that brown bear hide, um, for like the most miserable two hours of my life. And it was really warm when we pulled it over us. And, uh, we both woke up almost hypothermic, packed that one out about five miles to the plane, dislocated my shoulder the first 400 yards of that one. And, uh, the high lawn was 127. So that was a, it was a dig and, uh, Whew. flew that one out, came back in. You can't fly and hunt the same day, um, in Alaska. So we waited. And then I think day five, Trav shot his and he just, I didn't think he'd get one nearly as big as mine if he even shot one. And he shot one that, uh, just body wise dwarfed mine. It was huge. And, uh, two big bears five days and then flew out of there and i mean it's typical fashion it was super nasty getting home and windy and rainy and low vis but that's just kind of how it goes you know well i seen the pictures so trav's bear's body is like prehistoric and then the head on your bear is mind-blowing did that thing go deep into boone and crockett yeah um it shrunk more than I thought, and I'm not huge in the score, but it's nice to kind of see where you measure up. And uh, I actually, I'm looking at it right now, but I scored it dry. I got it bugged, and uh, it's 28 and an eighth dried out. Um, but it was pushing 28 and three quarters, 29 when it was green. And I think Trav's, they both grossed green over Boone and Crockett. Mine went out to nine foot 10, and then Trav's was a legitimate 10 foot eight square, which is just. I mean, huge when you hear, you don't hear those kind of numbers, you know, we didn't, we didn't stretch it or anything. We just got the hide taunt, put a tape measure on it. And it just, they're just huge animals, you know? Yeah. It's unbelievable. And then fleshing that out, uh, Trav said in the podcast, that was quite the experience. So like you guys didn't know what you're doing. I've never fleshed, uh, a brown bear out, obviously. What was that like? It's pretty greasy. Um, I've never done it either. I've shot a bunch of black bears and, I just take them to tax service and they do all the dirty work. But uh, we ended up using uh, Ulu knives, like the little ones that are have the curved blade and they're beveled on one side. And those seem to work the best. But I think uh, I have a, a good buddy up here that's uh, ex-brown bear guide. He helped us and kind of showed us how to, you know, split the lips, turn the ears. You're packing probably over 50 pounds of salt into the hide to try and dry everything out. But it took us, I think, seven or eight hours, three guys the whole day working on the thing it was a it was a project but you have to get it like travis said you have to get it under 100 pounds because you got to fly it home and if it's over 100 you can't bring it as check baggage yeah wow so that was a pretty good way to start off your residency where did you go from there when it comes to hunting so then i get really busy june july i mean really busy for work all summer and uh opening day of caribou season was august 1st and i got a buddy that's a pilot up here and he gets two days off we didn't shoot anything big it was just a really cool hunt we went in there and had a good game plan and there was a few kids around but uh we got in there pretty late at about 10 30 at night uh landed up on this ridge and we just wanted a meat hunt and it was any caribou you can actually shoot two a piece and we just each wanted to get one and we uh woke up and i pulled the spotter out from the tent right there at the airplane and spotted two caribou about three miles away, we ran up there and we got about 800 yards and they fed over the ridge. We ran up there and he laid down and shot one and mine took off and I shot it and had two caribou laying there within the first hour. Um, so that was pretty cool. And uh, the best part about it was we shot him up high on a ridge and we were able to uh, 
to pack the meat only about 50 to 100 yards um, and kind of make a little landing strip with the meat bags where I'd walked it and made sure it was good. And then we just walked back to the airplane empty, dropped our packs and took our rifles. And then we, uh, I flew him out to a bigger strip and then went back and I picked up all the caribou meat and stuff and uh, had to kind of hurry on that one because there was a sow and two big cubs circling downwind of it and they were working their way up. So I landed the plane and threw it in really quick and then went and picked him up and flew home. And I think we were home by about three o'clock for a late lunch. It was a sweet hunt for that one. Dude, you're spoiled. So you're having a hell of a season. And I'm, I basically, I already know that you kill, spoiler alert, you kill a giant moose. And so we got to, yeah. I got to hear this story, man. I mean, I mean, I've seen pictures of Alaskan moose, but I've just never seen one like that. People got to go look it up. You're on Instagram. Go look up that picture. Uh, tell us about that, man. So went to the same place um, that I hunted before, and uh, I went earlier this year because I I took so much time off for for bear. I don't, I don't have a job like all this, where I only work like two days and then get so many off. Um, so I work five six days a week, and uh, I got to kind of buy my time when it comes to getting time off. And I pretty much burned out all my time with took and taking off time for doll sheep and brown bear and some fishing and stuff. And, uh, so I think I had five days for the moose, which I mean, sounds like a lot, but when you get a moose, then you got three days of work after you pull the trigger. And so I knew I had to kind of get it done early. Um, and went in there and, uh, hiked up to this big vantage point where we had seen bulls in the past. And, uh, I saw a bull and laid down to shoot him because I thought it was a nice one, but it ended up only being about 55, 57 inches. And I think it's a bull I'd videoed before, and it was getting late, and we kept looking for a bigger bull. And it was early, so nothing was really uh, calling that good. And it was super, super warm. It was about 70 degrees, so it wasn't good moose hunting weather. And we looked past our camp probably three, four miles away, and when those moose shed their velvet um, and they're in the alders and they stand up, you have a green background and giant white piece of plywood and you could see it with your naked eye and pulled out the spot and scope and got some footage and I could tell he was a good bull but wasn't that sure how big he was and told Tanner we should run down there and get a closer look we ran down there and we popped out where we should have only been 200 yards away but I think he had heard us and we saw him at 600 yards away and uh he was just in a sea of alders and uh the alders up here, especially where we moose hunt, are like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, North Idaho has them, but here they're just – they're almost impassable. And wow. uh, the, thought of, the thought of packing a moose out through them, I mean, just is almost unfeasible. And so I tried doing some uh, some raking and stuff, and he wouldn't come any closer. He'd rake his horns a little bit, a couple grunts, and he'd kind of just rake his horns. But I was trying to just see what he liked and get some reaction out of him, and he wasn't coming any closer. And – I was running out of light and I tried a couple of real soft cow calls and, uh, he just, he knew the game was up and he turned and he bolted and, uh, I was rifle hunting once again, cause I didn't think I was going to have time with my bow and I'm glad I had the long range rifle. And he, uh, he went to bolt. My wife was laying down with the video camera, laying out the range finder. She ranged him. I think he was, was my furthest shot. It was like five ninety something, five ninety six, And, uh, he was walking away and when a moose walks away, that's when you really get a good view of how wide the pans are. And he's got, I think 21 and 22 inch wide paddles. And uh, I saw how huge he was. And I just came up off the gun and kind of screamed at him with a cow call, just to, like you would a mule deer or something to get one last stop. And uh, he turned broadside and I pulled the shot a little bit back and I knew I did. 
and he ran about 30 yards. I shot him again in the base of the neck, broke his neck, still standing. I think I missed the third shot, and uh, he walked over the ridge. Then I had seen about video hunts. I could see where I hit him, and I knew I didn't want to push him, but I knew it was probably going to die. And uh, so he backed out, and that was a pretty sleepless night. Came back the next day, and uh, he was in this these spruce thickets where he went when I shot. And there was all this red tundra, so it was, it was super hard to find any blood. And I just I couldn't turn up anything. I found a couple specks, and my wife found a little, and we kind of got at least somewhat of a line where he was headed. And so I just kind of kept doing loops, and I walked down there, and I was literally on my way back to find out a less sucky way to get back because we had beat through a lot of alders. And I was going to go jump in my airplane and start flying around looking for birds or seeing if I could see his paddles in the alders because I figured he was dead. And I walked down to this meadow and came around a bush and 68-inch bull moose laying there, first one ever, and that's about all there is to that. What did the, I mean, I hate to ask you scores, but just to put it, like how wide and what did that thing score, Boone and Crockett? I think he was right. I call it 60. I think he was right 67 and three quarters or 15 sixteenths. And Moose shrank a lot and gross. I think he was 228, 229, somewhere in there. And I think all time books 224. So I don't think, I don't think he would dry even gross book. But uh, yeah, I always tell, I always joke people and say net, you know, net scores, nets are for fish. And, that's, uh, that's a fact. I just go off gross, you know, and it was just, it was cool. Um, my wife is just a, a beast. She has never been one to skip leg day. And uh, the coolest part for me was, you know, doing it with her and, it was two miles to the plane, all uphill, and most people won't go more than a mile to pack a moose. And I, we got everything quartered up and done up. And I said, "Okay, well, how much do you think you can pack?" And she's like, "I can do at least a hundred. And this is a woman who weighs one hundred and fifty pounds. Yep. You know. And I was just like, "Are you for real?" And she's like, "Yeah." And so I put a put a front shoulder on her on her back, and I think it was one hundred and ten pounds. We got home, and she just goes, and uh, you know. It was it was incredible, and that was uh, eight trips total. So we did four round trips, and I was able to find a, a place to land that was only about a mile pack. So we only packed it a mile uphill instead of two. So that was uh, that was a blessing. Dude, you are living the dream, man. I'm telling you, and you're eating good. You're eating real good. Oh. Moose meat. That's the that's the best, man. Wow. It's yeah, moose and salmon. Gosh. Okay. Is there any way we can be next of kin here? How can I figure this out? Can you adopt me as your brother? Or yeah. So like my dream, yes. my dream hunt is to kill a, a coastal brown bear for sure. I mean, the moose thing is legit, and I want to do that with my dad. And but it's always right in September, and you know I'm an out, diehard elk guy. But something about yep. going up there and killing a big spring bear with a bow and like I'm not packing a rifle if I. If I do it, it's going to be with a bow or nothing, and you just kind of you roll the dice a little bit. But to me, that's going to be – that's kind of my bucket list hunt. I just accomplished a bucket list hunt. I've been wanting to kill a cougar forever. And, uh, Saw that. I, yeah, okay. So spoiler alert, I'm going to bring that outfitter on and go into depth on the biology and, and nerd out on cats because they're fascinating. This is a blue-collar podcast. I am a blue-collar dude. I am in the middle of remodeling a kitchen. If you've ever done that, it ain't cheap. So I'm not just a guy who can go book a cat hunt whenever he wants, man. And that, the outfit I went with, they charged seven grand for their 
wow. for their guided cougar. And their hunts are unique. They're guaranteed if you live nearby. So, like, Washington residents listening should totally, you know, perk up and maybe even Montana. Because you pay this dude, his name's Longtail. No, it's, yeah, I think it's Longtail Outfitters. And they, uh, you pay him 7G. And then they will basically you're on call until you kill your cat. So you just wait for a good snowstorm. He cuts a good track with a good stride. You get a phone call. Be ready to drop everything and go. So for the last three or four years, I've been saving up a little bit for this cat hunt. And I was still about three or four years away from hitting that goal, you know. And I had solicited myself to like three or four outfitters in the area saying, hey, here's the deal. I can't book you for a week. But what I can do is I can drop everything on a moment's notice and pay you some sort of day rate, uh, a trophy fee, uh, tip your guides. But I can't pay five or seven Gs. So I I told like three or four outfitters. A couple of them told me to like basically pound sand. But this guy and one other outfit were like, all right. And that was a couple years ago. And I never heard back from either one of them until Monday. Out of nowhere, I'm drinking coffee, emailing, getting ready to go to work. And this guy calls me. He's like, all right, dude. Remember what you told me? Well, today's the day I got, you know. And so long story short is it worked out because I was going to – I didn't plan on doing that hunt for another three or four years. But that was one of the hunts I knew I needed to hire an outfitter to run dogs to get a good cat. Otherwise, in Idaho, you can do it with your buddies or whatever. But you can't exchange money at all. You can't even fill up their gas tank or anything. That's illegal. Like that's outfitting. So – I want. I have way too much to lose over a cat, so I really wanted to do it black and white, and uh, that's what I did, and and it totally worked out. I didn't have to pay nearly what somebody would to do that hunt, but man, shot a really cool cat, and uh, that was a big cat. The, yeah, he was. He's a booner. I'm not a enter. I'm not an enter the books kind of guy, but I had him checked in today, and the taxidermist that. Uh, checked him in was like oh yeah he's a booner and so he's gonna text me the green score and that's what we'll roll with but you know nice. it was cool i love predator hunting man and you shooting a wolf the very first time i'm i've seen a lot of idaho wolves way too close up in person but yep what is an alaskan wolf how big was that thing uh i shot a female um and uh I think it was only probably 80 pounds. I didn't weigh it. They look huge, but uh, we have a lot of wolves up here. I mean, the regs say you can shoot 10 a day, but they're just like back home. They're really smart, but it's Alaska's a lot more open. Um, and I shot this one on caribou hunt, and we I think there was a pack of nine, and I almost thought they were coyotes. They looked so small, and they were just stuffed full. But they, they annihilated this caribou, and they ate every last bit, which I get it. It's the circle of life. It's nice to see that coming from Idaho where you see a lot of wasted elk and stuff like that from wolf kills but uh yeah that was that was cool um it was just kind of one of those lucky opportunities where i lucked into it and my buddy was caribou hunting with me and we came on this ridge and saw this saw these wolves and this one laid laid down at 200 yards and we went back to look in this herd of caribou and there wasn't a big bull in it so i asked my buddy i said hey do you care if i whack this thing and he said no go for it so i laid down and she was downwind of us we were skyline talking and 200 yards away and she was just laying there looked through my scope when she was howling and I just shot her right in the face. Dude, that's crazy. So are the wolves a major issue up there? I don't see how you guys can manage them being that Alaska is like so big. How many, I mean, just so people know, like how big is Alaska compared to like our biggest state in the lower 48, Texas? 
I think it's two and a half times the Texas. And so you can you can look up Google Images or, you know, Alaska overlaid over the lower 48. And it's just, it takes up, like, everything. It's huge, you know. Um, and uh, they, they have a lot of wolves here. Uh, they manage them. Like I said, you can shoot 10 a day, but they're smart. Um, they have some intensive predator units. I think the state state does some pretty, uh, intensive predator management things I've heard. Um, if they're having declining caribou herds, their moose can't recover and stuff like that. So it's, it's a different world, uh, than coming from Idaho, you know, where it's timber, North Idaho, and there's, there's no real way to get on them and stuff up here. There's guys with snow machines and the skill set to go out and go out and accomplish that kind of stuff. Well, let's finish on Alaska with kind of the people that listen to this podcast, the people that are the do-it-yourself crowd. You you can hunt Alaska on your own. You can do it. You can drive up. You can book a pilot or you know get an airplane taxi over to wherever you want to go and, and do it right. So I've done it a couple times on my own, and it was awesome. But uh, probably caribou would be the best place to start. So generally speaking, can you drop some knowledge bombs on maybe that do-it-yourself caribou hunt, the time of year, what you can expect, just kind of a general overview? Yeah. Um, from what I've heard, I mean, I haven't hunted caribou except down by King Salmon. It's all resident only opportunity. And we have some, some recovering caribou herds that are still really struggling. Um, but I hear a lot of guys go like up a hall road, which is, which is a real famous hunt. So there's a lot of people and get kind of crazy. Um, I've heard it can be kind of shoulder to shoulder and the, the fishing game limited, but I think a caribou tag, non-resident 600 bucks, you buy a hunting license for, I don't know, 150 maybe, and a caribou for 600. You can hunt them off the road. I know a lot of guys go up to like the North Slope, uh, like Prudhoe Bay and stuff, where the pipeline is, and the the regs there are due to the pipeline and just people being up there. You can archery hunt right off the road, and so that can get kind of wild, like road hunters, you know, sitting in the back of pickup trying to shoot a caribou with their bow. But then once you hit the five-mile mark as the crow flies from the road where the pipeline is, then you're allowed to rifle hunt. So, uh, yeah, it's – I mean, Trav and Tom and Trevor, they all went up there for the stuck in the rut thing a while back. And, I mean, it's a long, long drive to get up there, but that's that's a good one I see people be successful at. And then another good option, if you have some money saved up, is – to get flown out because then you're getting away from four wheelers guys that hiking in that are hiking in and all the pickups and stuff on the road. And, uh, the pilots can for an air taxi. If you, I mean, you're paying for the flight time, they'll fly you a lap around the caribou herd and say, okay, they look like they're migrating this way. We're going to drop you off 10 miles in front of the herd and they should come right down through this valley. And then hopefully you can capitalize on that. Yeah. I believe you have to have, your bow hunter safety, like legitimate, uh, to do the, the deal right off the hall road in Alaska. Yeah. So you got to get that. And then can you fly into Fairbanks and rent a truck or anything? Is, is that doable? Yeah, I think so. Cause, uh, trap told me a story. He had a turbo go out and I think they, uh, they just rented a U-Haul pickup. That was the cheapest thing they could find. It was 20 or 25 bucks a day for just a single cab pickup. And, um, you don't need much. And then from Fairbanks, you drive up, you go through the Brooks range and everything. And then once you get onto the North slope, you're, uh, headed down towards Prudhoe Bay. There's a lot of caribou. Um, it's just that open country getting within bow range is really, really hard. And five miles through the tundra is excruciating, like walking on waterbeds. Oh, it's terrible. You know? It is unbelievable. Yep. So we went into, my dad and I flew into 
Prudhoe, and then we uh, this pilot picked us up there and drove us down to the Happy Valley Landing Strip, and yep. then, and then he torched us out thirty miles. And same thing, kind of circled, said, "All right, there's a pretty good stash of boo heading this way. I'll drop you out in front of them." And uh, it was no give me, but my dad both and I got it done. And yeah, I mean, we were on the base of the brooks. We saw grizzlies. We saw wolves we saw everything it was unbelievable we saw doll sheep and our spotters there was even some caribou up pretty high surprisingly but uh it was an yep. ep- epic hunt and the bugs are terrible that uh, when the wind yep. when the wind stops blowing you're going to get destroyed uh, everybody's got to go up there man it's a it's a cool deal i did it in my early 20s i don't think it's like something i'm like super jacked to go back and go after caribou but uh, i think that looking back i'm so glad i did it man it's an awesome animal. Now, in Alaska, if a non-resident has a caribou tag or a moose tag, can they? What's the deal? Can they shoot? I'm trying to remember the rule, but like, can you Both shoot tagging down? Yeah. Okay. What? Yeah. Explain that. So it's it strictly goes off monetary value. So, like, say you have a sheep tag. Um, I think a non-resident doll sheep's eight hundred bucks. They give you a little locking tag, which is this little metal ring you put around the eye socket of your ram or around the horns. Um, and you got to have all your permits and a harvest ticket, which is something you actually cut the notch out for the day and month. But if you say you're going into a place and a caribou tag is only 600 bucks, but you have a doll sheep tag and you're going up on a doll sheep hunt, but a Boone and, Boone and Crockett caribou walks in front of you, you and you have all the proper permits, since that one is a lesser value of a tag worth only $600, and the season's open, Alaska allows you to tag down to that animal so you can... You can harvest that animal and put your locking tag for your doll sheep on it. So it's a it's a cool opportunity. And I've I've heard stories of guys who didn't know, you know, like one time this guy had like a world record caribou walk in front of him and he screwed a blunt tip onto his and took his broadhead off and whacked it right in the heart. And then he got back to camp and told his buddy and his buddy's like, you know, you could have shot that and just tagged down and he didn't know. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, with fishing game up there, this is just my personal experience. They like patrol via airplane. And I had fishing game fly down and like check everything that we had once we had our kills. They checked our carcass, make sure we took all the meat, uh, all the edible meat, and they just checked all our tags and license. They were cool, but just be aware, like you got to do it by the book up there. They, they don't mess around. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, lately I've, I've been checking helicopters and, you know, um, like you, I have way too much to lose on an airplane. And so you got to be hundred percent legit, but what a lot of people get tagged for, and I'll tell people if they're coming up to hunt, read the regs really good on wanton waste, because you have to take literally from the base of the skull all the way down to the knee joint and the elbow, every piece of meat, even in between the ribs. And it's real technical. Some units before this date, the ribs meat has to come out on the bone and other, other units, it has to come off the quarters. And it's very technical how they word it. And they do it so you're not wasting a bunch of meat. And they're also doing it because there's a lot of trophy hunters that come up here and just want to shoot a moose. And then they kind of get in over their head and don't want to take the 800 pounds of meat that comes with the moose and pack it through a swamp. And Alaska really frowns upon that and they'll take your antlers and they'll give you a big ticket. So there you go. You heard it. You're aware. And that's right. So let's move on to elk because this is the elk shape podcast. So like I told guys, uh, I talked to you on the phone. I knew that you were going down to Arizona to hunt 
uh, some uh, the same unit that I was for late season archery a few years back. We won't say what unit. Talked to you on the phone. You were going down with our mutual friend, Ryan Altus, who, by the way, he's been on this podcast before and he's an amazing human being. Look that one up. And you had, I don't think, had you had ever killed an elk with a bow at that point? Just a spike before. Just a spike, you said, or I couldn't, you cut out? Yeah, yeah, just a spike. Uh, I, I think I'd shot four elk total before that one, and then I had shot a spike with a bow. Cool. But it was a long time before that, and I was young, didn't know what I was doing. And That was a cool yeah. trip. We, between the three of us, we defied all odds, and we all tagged out. But you were the – I'm going to shoot you straight, Adam. I didn't, I didn't know you, and I wasn't hunting with you, but I'm like, he, he, he hasn't experienced this yet. Like the winds swirl in Arizona late season, and it's not a matter of – if but when the wind's just going to screw up your stock so you need a stock a day almost for morale or you're just you're just going to get brutally frustrated when you find that bull and you go after him and the wind blows on the back of your neck when you're like closing the last few yards so i get a text from ryan and he's like oh yeah adam got his bull and you got your bull early dude like you shot a really nice bull in arizona late season they're not bugling and that's your first branch antler bull with a bow tell us about that experience yeah, so um, I I know it was the hardest hunt I've ever done. Um, just real technical. Super, super blessed to draw that tag because, I mean, like you saw, you get to a place at first light, I wouldn't even pull my binos out. I would just step out of the pickup and just start looking, and you'd see yellow, little yellow dots all over. And there's just a lot of bulls, and they're bachelored up, and they're smart, and they're mature, and they're post-rut, and it's – the hardest of anything and it's really dry and that's not something I'd ever seen. And so, I mean, I came out of there just shredded my arms, my legs, pulling thorns out of your feet, out of your kneecaps. I mean, it was just insane, but there was a lot of elk. And like you said, you can get a stock on a 300 plus bull pretty much every, every day. Um, it's just, they go and bed in some really nasty stuff. They get in some really steep cliffs. And I think, I think before I went down, it was 6% success, so I knew it was really tough, and I shot mine on day six, found a spot that uh, bulls had been consistently feeding, and we kind of had a pattern on them, and that's a place Ryan found, and we kind of came to the agreement that, hey, we need, to, we need to play this right, and we can't just split up and go do our own thing because, I mean, props to you, dude, because you didn't have a spot or anyone to take you in on your elk. You just got it done, which is hard and so did i but uh altus and i split up and said okay today i'm gonna spot for you tomorrow you're gonna spot for me and so i went a day for him next day came we were he was so close we decided to both go up into the spot he had been going to but it was a big flat top and every day you get up there the wind was just like a tornado so we we split up he went one way i went another and we're just going real slow and uh i didn't really know my next move i was just kind of i guess timber pounding if you will we call it but usually that's with a rifle in hand and i had a bow and i didn't really know how i was going to work out and i heard a stick pop and in north idaho you hear some stuff when you're elk hunting i've hunted montana and other states and elk are loud um but i was just, we learned to to make a rule that if you hear any noise at all just assume it's an elk because down there they're real sneaky post rut even if it's dry and everything as it is every sound you hear just think it's an elk and hunt it that way and so we did because we messed up a few that way so i knocked an arrow i i got down on a knee i didn't have time to get a camera on or anything and uh had a read in my shirt pocket pulled that out and 
I saw this bull come up. He had good fronts. He was a seven on one side, a six on the other, and just pretty heavy. Came up to 17 yards on this little rock opening as it full draw. I had to kind of shoot between a little four-inch gap, and he just stepped right in front of it. I cow called, and he just froze, and I shot him. I shot him good. He was courting to me a little bit, but the arrow, and I'm I'm not a huge archery guy, mainly because I've worked up in Alaska through September, so I haven't had a chance to archery hunt much for elk. But my arrow went in, and it, it went through the ribs, and it clipped along, but then it turned and it went back, and it actually stuck in his leg. I knew it was a good hit, and I heard him kind of stumble about 100 yards away, and so I backed out. Ryan and I'll, I waited for four hours and then went to go find him, found just tons of perfect blood in the place he had stood and probably dumped out two gallons of foamy lung blood, and it was great. And then he just sealed up. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, elk are really resilient. And we started doing circles, and we found boot tracks that looked like some guys had bumped him that were up there. And uh, Ryan found one little blood clot like 50 yards away. And we were able to dry track him bit by bit. And uh, he actually circled around right kind of back to where I shot him. And he was only about 20 yards from where I, where I shot him at. And uh, super, super pumped. I didn't expect to get one down there. I just expected a super cool experience. And a 6 by 7 with, I mean, the first real elk with a bow. I was, I was jacked. And Ryan and I packed him out. And, uh, and then it was cool because I just, the, the pressure was off, you know. And, yeah. Uh, then I, I just got to I got to film bulls and look at you know three a lot of three ten to three sixty bulls through a spot and scope and you can use radios in Arizona which is cool it's legal and uh, so you can you can radio in places and I and I I got to see Ryan mess up on a lot just because the wind I mean there was one day that it was like he he wanted to just cry because I think it was like fifteen bulls that had winded him in one morning or something it was insane oh it breaks your heart but you got to know that yep. going down there i i just yep. remember getting the picture texting me i was camped maybe four or five miles as the crow flies from you guys and and i had been there before so i kind of had an idea what i was wanting to do and i remember telling you guys this that um, when i finally met up with you guys i had killed my bull like on my second to last day and I, you know, having someone with you spotting in a radio is almost a must. It's really hard to do it the way I did. You know, it's going to involve some luck and, and a lot of persistence. But I finally was like headed out the mountains. And I know Ryan still had a tag left, but I pulled up and I saw your bull and your smile. I just have that etched in my brain as one of my best memories. And you were so proud of him. And he was heavy. He was a really cool bull. Really cool yeah. bull, man. And he wasn't that busted up. A lot of those bulls down there, you'll see them broken between the, the G1 and the G2. They just There's so many bulls to cows. They fight so much. You're not used to seeing it other places. But this one had a couple chips. And he wasn't huge. He was only 287, I think. But, uh, I mean, tro- definitely my best archery trophy. And I cut the I cut the tooth out and had him age, and he was 11. So, I mean, he was a, he was oh, a warrior. He was an old bull. That's so, that is awesome. Yeah, my bull was just over 330 if he had his uh if his fifth hadn't been broke off assuming that it matched up the other side so he came in right at 320 and i was tickled i mean great bull when i when i met up with you guys man you could just see that ryan was like this is not because ryan's better elk hunter than both of us like ryan's one of the best elk hunters i've ever met in my life (laughs) and he's he's a freak of nature scratching his head like how do these two bozos Gil, nice bulls before me, and uh, he stuck it out the rest of the season. But what I was going to tell you was like, 
when we started comparing notes in person about all the places I'd been, you guys had traveled five or six times further than I have in every direction. You guys seriously covered some ground. And I learned from you guys, like, you're not married to one spot. Get out and cover the entire unit. You guys truly did that. So that would be one of my advice for anyone that's putting in for Arizona Draws, whether it's the rut tag or the late season now. That place has got to be absolutely nuts during the rut. Did you see all the rubs that are just like off the National Forest Road? I mean, everywhere oh, it went yeah. was a rub. That place has got to be it's nuts. It's crazy. I mean, this is how good that place was, Dan. I went back. I don't think I told you, but I had some training down at the Grand Canyon last April, and I took like three to four days off work, rented a car, put a lot of money into this, went met up with a buddy that we became friends with down there, and uh, I shed hunted that place for three days. I didn't oh. find much. And um, I just, that's how drawn to that place I am, just because the memories in my mind of those big bulls we saw. I'm like, man. And Ryan found a really killer, like, inline eight point shed down there. There was a 350 class shed. And I had dreams of finding all these big elk horns. And I'm still planning to maybe go this year, just because it's the elk quality down there is insane what they have they do it right man and they don't have wolves they don't have harsh winters and they manage their tags and uh it's just a great state so maybe someday i'll be back there uh we've talked before and i think you and i are set to draw in the next couple of years so hopefully uh, who knows if we draw at the same time we'll have to meet up um let's talk a little bit we'll kind of wrap this up about what you have planned for 2019 as not only I know you love elk hunting, but you have your job limited on time off. What are you thinking 2019 is going to look like? Um, Alaska is the first state I put in for all the western states. But Alaska is the first one to come up with draw uh, results on February 15th. So I'm kind of banking on that. Um, I put in for super, super hard sheep tag with Travis, and we'll see if we draw that, but I doubt it. A lot of great over-the-counter tags up here for sheep. So I'm probably going to put – well, I got to – I got a bear hunt I'm probably going to do. Maybe go solo, and I want to stick with my bow. I shot a deer uh, when I was back home in Idaho um, and with a bow, and I just thought that was really cool and uh, want to uh, want to archery hunt more. There's brown bear hunt that's open from, like, end of August till May, and so as soon as they come out of the den, I want to try and get one probably late April, early May, and I'd like to do that with my bow, and I don't know if uh, I'm going to be going solo or whatnot. And then August 10th, sheep opens. I'm going to try and get hopefully a week for sheep season and uh, do that. And uh, and then moose again. I think my wife wants to get a moose with a bow. And so we're going to try and hunt later into the rut, like mid to late September. And then October 7th this year is a fall unit nine peninsula brown bear hunt. And my wife has been bucket list. She's pretty scared of brown bears. But her bucket list is kind of to conquer it by sh- by shooting a brown bear with a bow. And uh, uh, Arizona, let me know. I'll let you, and uh, maybe we'll share a campfire this time and go down there and get a repeat. I sure hope so, man. That'd be a great time. All right, don't forget to ask. These are big animals, you know. I well, I'm going to get your wife on the podcast if she'll say yes because she sounds amazing. I want to get to know her. I might even have my wife do the. Uh, interview that would be cool but i haven't had a lady on here yet she sounds like the perfect candidate but yeah man i'm scared of brown bears too that's kind of my whole thinking was like man they really intimidate me their size they're just power i know we're an hour apart and you are a long ways away but the internet is awesome we got you on here maybe someday maybe not too far out you needed somebody to 
throw a camera over your shoulder. Maybe we can start there and I could just film one of your hunts, man. That would just be unbelievable. So obviously the stuck in the rut guys would, would probably take precedence, but if they're not able to, man, hit me up. I'd love to come up and film. Great, dude. Well, where can people find you Let's on the, uh, on the internet? Uh, you're on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, it's my last name, Grenda, G R E N D A 89. I don't do that much on Instagram. I guess I should maybe do more, but, uh, I'm on Facebook too, but, uh, yeah, I'm not on social media that much. Um, stuck in the rut has a YouTube channel. I think they're just about to post my, uh, my brown bear hunt from last year. And that, that was, uh, that's a pretty cool one. It's just, it's, there's not many do it yourself airplane brown bear hunts on the peninsula. I, I tried to research it before I knew what I was getting myself into. And, uh, that was just a super cool hunt, so I'd recommend watching that video. It was a blast going down there with Travis, and we just had a great time. Dude, I can't wait. Adam, you're a good dude, man, and I wish to, we lived closer. I'd love to share a campfire with you again. If you draw Arizona, let me know, I'll let you, and uh, maybe we'll share a campfire this time and go down there and get a repeat. I sure hope so, man. That'd be a great time. All right, don't forget to ask your wife. I want to bring her on, man, and I appreciate your time, brother. Thanks, Dan. Take care. All right, man. Have a good night. See ya. Bye. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today.